Well, good morning, Wendover Hills. How are you? <laughs> oh, we got some energy drinks working over there. Nice job. Well, it's good to be with you again this morning. I really enjoyed the last couple of weeks being out to uh, get out and to meet you and spend time with you and, and get to know you. Uh, I especially have loved the meals that some of you have brought to our house. So, um, Liz, those, uh, we ate on those shelves for the next couple of days. So, it was good stuff. Thank you. Have you ever been promised something? You know what I mean by being promised something. Have you uh, ever not received it? Have you ever made a promise and then didn't keep that promise? Yeah, that's how it works sometimes. In general, I think we're pretty good at keeping, giving promises, right? We're pretty good at making promises and telling people, we'll do this, or I'll be there for this, or I'll take care of this, or, or maybe the one with our kid that says, if you do that one more time, now I'm going to throw away every toy in your room. <laughs> Toys are still there. We don't, we're not always so good at delivering on our promises. You know, this week I found a couple uh, old ads on uh, YouTube, some, some just funny little things. And one I came across was something I used to watch when I was just small, like five or six years old. I used to see this guy come on in Long Beach uh, who had a car lot, and he was, you know, a very vibrant character uh, back in the, the, the 70s. So uh, I dug up uh, an old commercial, so let's take a look. And I got a whole bunch of goodies for you. I'm going to give you a Barack Obama hat you can wear on your little head to keep the sun off of you. And I'm going to give you an anti-siphon thing here. You poke this in the gas tank and nobody can swipe your gas. <laughs> All I want you to drop by and say hello. And by the way, if you're shopping for a car, no use driving around and burning up your own gas. Burn my gas. I'll give you a tank of gas or 10 gallons, whichever comes first. And you don't have to buy it from me if you buy it from any dealer. All I want you is to see me first. You don't have to buy a car from me. Just come and see it. I know I've got the car you're looking for. I think I can save you a gang of money. And here's where your friends are, and here's where the bargains are. I've been your new car dealer right here for 30 years. If you come back, you want some service, or you want another car, I'll be right here to wait on you. Been here 30 years, ain't going no place. Look at here. Here's a car that's really worth the money. Here's the 78 Ford T-Bird for $39.95. You drive it and check it. Boy, there's a car that sells for about half what it costs new. Look at this. A 1979 Ford Granada four-door, $43.95, the full price. Here's a 78 Chevy Caprice four-door. Look at there, $33.95. Here's a 78 Ford Fairmont four-door, $31.95. Here's a 1978 Ford it's male TD two-door for $39.95, the full price. Really worth the money. Here's a 1979 Ford, it's an LTD station wagon for $53.95. Here's a 79 Ford Fairmont four-door, $42.95. Here's a 79 Ford, an LTD four-door, $51.95. Here's a 78 Chevy, it's a Malibu Classic station wagon, $31.95. Here's a 1978 Ford, an LTD two, it's a four-door, a dandy car, $38.95. Here's a great big 78 Ford LTD station wagon, $39.95. Here's a 1978 Chevy Impala two-door, $30.95. You cannot beat these prices. You couldn't beat these prices anywhere. If you want low payments, if you want low payments, you come and see us. Here's where your friends are. Here's where the bargains are. It's Worthington Ford at 2850 Bellflower Boulevard in Long Beach. I'll see you here. There you go. You catch the promise. I especially like the umbrella hat that, uh, that you get. Now, some of you, I saw you, you were kind of taking notes. Now, what was that phone number again? So a uh, few promises that were, that were thrown out there. Uh, there was one more commercial I, I was able to find, and uh, this one's kind of uh, pretty humorous because we're kind of on the, the other side of this claim and this promise that, that comes from this commercial, and uh, we know the history. So, uh, so take a look at this and see if you can pick up 
the promises in this commercial. Meet the Pinto, just born. The new little carefree car from Ford. Priced like a small economy import, but you'd never know to look at it. It's averaged over 25 miles per gallon in simulated city and suburban driving. But it's frisky, with a wider stance than any little import, so you won't be pushed around by the wind. With high-backed bucket seats in front and comfortable room all around. And ditto strong, built to run and run and run. With little servicing, little noise, little expense. Pinto, a little carefree car to put a little kick in your life. A little better idea from Ford, coming September 11th. There you go. Uh, I especially like the carefree car part and, uh, and the part that said a little feisty car. Uh, that might be referring to the uh, exploding gas tanks uh, in those <laughs> promises. We know about promises and we really live our world in interacting with people and promises. And this morning, we're going to be concluding this series on seeing God's will. And last week, we learned about Saul and, and a time when he just kind of sat and he sought God. We talked about how uh, this ephod was this means for him to just look on and hear a word from God. I challenge you to, to keep seeking God over the next several weeks, a thing called 2020 Vision, where we ask you to just simply read your Bible and pray for 20 minutes a day. Now, uh, if we would, uh, all those who were very faithful every day, if you would stand up this morning. I'm joking. You don't have to stand up. <laughs> and I saw that panic look uh, for a second there. But I would want to encourage you to keep seeking God. Keep spending time in God's Word. Keep spending time praying, seeking His direction, not just for your own life, but for the life of this church as well. But this week we're going to look at a second character in the passage of 1 Samuel 14, 1 through 14. His name is Jonathan. He's the son of Saul. And in this passage, we're going to look at a different way of seeking God. In fact, on first glance, it would look like Jonathan isn't seeking God at all. But we'll take a look at that and, and, uh, and talk through that. Well, also at the end, I want to answer the question, how do you know if a prompting really is from God? It's great for us to talk about seeking, but when we hear, how do we really even know that that's from God? So let's take a look at our passage this morning. If you have your Bible, it's 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1 through 14. Uh, we're going to go ahead and just read the whole passage again, the 14 verses. Uh, so get comfy and we'll just uh, work through it. So 1 Samuel 14, starting in verse 1. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gebeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men. Among them was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was named Bozes and the other Sina. One cliff stood to the north towards Michmach and the other to the south towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. 
Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then. We will cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes they are hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up and using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him, the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind them, him. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. How many of you feel like you know a Jonathan? Kind of a, an antsy person, somebody who wants to get out and make it happen, can't quite sit still? Yeah, quite a few of us know a Jonathan. In fact, many of us probably are a Jonathan's. It seems in this passage that Jonathan, he's just plain bored, and he's seeking some action. We get this similar picture from Samuel 1st 13, just one chapter back, where Jonathan attacks this other outpost, though it's not so much him kind of sneaking away in that passage as much as he's leading a group of soldiers. But in this passage, it just seems like he's antsy. You see, Saul is there, his father, and he's under the pomegranate tree with 600 men, and they're looking at the ephod, and they're seeking God, and Jonathan's just over there seemingly just needing something to do. It almost looks like Jonathan is a troublemaker looking for a fight. But is that all that's going on with Jonathan? Well, let me talk this morning that there's more to the story. Jonathan is an extremely loyal person. Do you know that kind of person that is just extremely loyal? That type of person that it doesn't matter what you're going through, they're always going to be there for you. They're always going to hold your secrets. And if something happens in your life where you just need the confidence of that person or if you need that strength from that person, boom, they're the one that are there. They're loyal. Maybe even a time where you've blown it with that person and they said, you know, it's okay. I'm going to stand by you. Jonathan is incredibly loyal. We learn this in his friendship with David, which is later on in the book of Samuel. He says these, the first Samuel 18 one says these words about his, his friendship. I actually took him out of the King James Bible because it really, I think, captures what the relationship was about. It says in first Samuel 18 one, the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Where it's true in this relationship that they are just good friends, they're best friends. It's also clear if you read the scripture that Jonathan is leading the charge in his loyalty to David. And so loyalty is one of the keys to understanding why Jonathan proceeds as he does. Now, it's not the only key, but where we're really going to be helped in learning from Jonathan about how he's seeing God's will, it's found in a few passages back to a time when Joshua was leading God's people into the promised land. Now, maybe you remember this story, but let me just give you a quick recap. You know, the people, they were slaves, God's people in Egypt. So their life was a life of slavery. In fact, they spent all their time uh, basically building the kingdom for Pharaoh. That's what was going on. But God delivered the people there. 
Moses led people, God's people out of Egypt, and they headed to this promised land. You know, there was some grumbling along the way, which caused this six-month journey to the promised land to actually turn into about two years. But after two years, they got to the point where they were poised to go into the promised land, and so they sent out two or 12 different spies into the land to check out what was going on. And of those 12 spies, 10 of them came back and said, can't be done. There's no way we can enter this land. They're all giants. They're huge. It was only two, Joshua and Caleb, that came back and said they could indeed take the land. They're the only two to claim the past promise from God. What was this past promise? This week in the email, I, I shared with you a little bit about Deuteron- Deuteronomy chapter 11. And so here's, here was the promise that was found there. God says here, if you carefully observe all my commands, I'm giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience with him, and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all the nations before you. You will dispossess larger, nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he promised you, will put the terror and fear of of you on the whole land wherever you go. That's what Joshua and Caleb were claiming when they came back and said, we can indeed take the land. But because the 12 spies said no, you know what happened to the people? They didn't get to enter there. They had to wander around the wilderness because they didn't claim God's promise and they wandered for 38 years. Now, I will be turning 38 in just uh, about a month. And I'm thinking, 38 years, that means my whole life wandering through the desert because they couldn't bring themselves to claim God's promise of this land he was giving them. And so the time came for them to be able to go into the land again after 38 years. And this time, Joshua leads them into the land. He claims the promise of Scripture that we just read. In fact, the key to this promise is really found in one word and in one phrase in that passage. The word is the word your. It's the word your shows up in there. Your land. You see, the people had been slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. You know, for generations, they had built his kingdom, and they lived these lives of oppression and these lives of injustice. They were slaves, but God delivered God staged this kind of 12 or 10 round fight with uh, Pharaoh, the plagues, and he wins, and the people are set free. So the gift of this new freedom is found in this word. God says that you'll go into this new land, this promised land, and it will be yours, your land. Now think about it. If you had been a slave for this long and nothing is yours, And God comes to you and says, I have something. It will be yours. You'll be the owner. You'll be the occupant. That's a big, big deal to these people. And so he says the land is yours. It's not the Egyptians. It's not Pharaoh's. It's yours. Let me pause for just a second in the story this morning and let you know that God wants to pull you out of any oppression that you're going through. One of the things that impressed on me so much when we came to visit Wendover is that I met people right away who had come out of some lives with deep oppression or addiction or struggle. But you know what? You don't have to have a life 
that's been ravaged by addiction. You don't have to have a life where you've been oppressed or abused all your life. You can simply have a life where you are away from God. And the Bible says that you're living a life of oppression, that you're living a life that's, that's controlled by the enemy. Now, God, the, the enemy uses all kinds of tactics. He doesn't show up with you know, his, uh, his costume on and the pitchfork and all that. But he, but he attacks us and he oppresses us in different ways. And this oppression often shows up in, in ways like our marriage is not where God wants our marriage to be. Our relationship is not where he wants them to be. Our joy in life is zapped. But he comes to us in the midst of this oppression, or maybe it is addiction, or anger, or depression, or foolish choices. The list goes on, and he wants to grant us freedom. That's what he wants to do. Give every single one of us freedom. And in that freedom, here's what he wants to lean into you and say. He wants to say, this freedom, it's yours. It's yours. This joy, this newfound joy, it's yours. This reconnect with your spouse, this growth in your marriage that he wants to bring, it's yours. This connection with your kids, this relationship that you can have with them, it is yours. All the supplies that you need in life are yours. Today just might be the time for you to just stop and just receive his grace. In fact, maybe this morning you don't even need to hear the rest of the message. You can just tune off because you've already heard what you need to hear, that you need to be able to claim something that is yours. And God is wanting to offer it this morning. Maybe this morning you've already received that in your life and you've claimed that type of victory and you're walking in that. And it's time for you to get serious about looking around and finding that person in your life, a coworker, a family member who needs that as well and to invite them along, to tell them your story, to sit next to them, to love them. Okay, let's go back to the story. I said there was a word and a phrase. The key phrase in the story is this, no one will be able to stand against you. This is this promise that no matter how big the armies are, no matter how bad the circumstances are, no one will be able to stand against you. The same, the same promise is, is for us today. No matter what your financial situation looks like, no one can stand against you. That's what Joshua is claiming here. In fact, Joshua leads the people into this land. And do you remember kind of the odd plan that God gave to Joshua to take the land? Uh, he goes into this, this walled city and God says, you know, you should walk around it and blow trumpets and that'll be enough. That's a pretty odd plan. But Joshua claims God's promise. He walks in. They, they, they do this tour around the city. I love the little veggie tale video, if you've ever seen, uh, of this interaction with... I, I know some of you don't have kids, but uh, it's okay. You can rent this video. You can watch it. Nobody's going to think less of you. But they're walking around this city, and in the veggie tale video, you know, it's very silly and funny how they're blowing the trumpets, and boom, the walls fall down. That was God's plan. As silly and funny as a veggie tale, it would have been just as silly and funny to the occupants of that wall to see these real life people walking around and blowing trumpets. Joshua claims God's promise, and in seven days the city's taken. From this point, every Israelite boy, or it have been everyone, but the boys specifically had this education, every Israelite would have grown up knowing the story of Joshua. They would have known he was a hero. They would have known the faith he had, the promise that he claimed. 
And so here in this story, it, it's, it's no surprise that Jonathan claims this promise. Remember I said he has loyalty, especially in his faith. There is no doubt for Jonathan that God is real, that God is active, and that God is willing to come through on his promises. Remember that promise? Deuteronomy 11, this is your land, and no one will be able to stand against you. For Jonathan in this story, as the Philistines are pressing down on their land, and remember I told you two weeks ago, they had got all the way to the point where they actually looked like they could now invade the promised land. For Jonathan, it was quite simple. This is not going to happen. And so he is propelled into action to keep this from happening. Now you may say, well, that's, that's a neat story, Tom. Thank you for walking through the passages there. Uh, but how does this really help us in seeking God's will? So this morning, I just want to share with you too quickly uh, two ways that we see in Jonathan how he's seeking God's will through his action. All right, let me say that again. He's seeking God's will through his actions. And here's how. Let's look at two ways real quick. They'll be on the screen. It says this, he is seeking God to do more of what God has already done. He's just simply seeking God to do more of what God has already done here. Have you ever developed a pattern in something and somebody near you, they just kind of know you're going to do that because you've done it before, right? Or if you have not done it before, then they're probably like, mm, probably, we probably won't get it done. But we set this pattern. Here, Jonathan has simply, is simply claiming the pattern of God. And he's expecting God to do more of what God has already done. Remember verse 6 today, this is what Jonathan said. He said to his young armor bearer, Come, let us go to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will work on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Now, I'm a big baseball fan. I just came from coaching college baseball. And if you're watching Major League Baseball, which is kind of the sport of choice in my house, um, or for me, I should say, in my house, there are certain players who are power hitters, and there are certain players who are not power hitters. Now, both players can be very productive, but one player might hit 40 home runs in a year, and one player might hit two home runs in a year. Now, if I went to the person of 40 home runs, and I was a general manager, and he was a free agent, and I had money to spend... I would say, I want to get that 40 home run guy because for the last few years, I know he has produced this number of home runs. I expect it's going to happen again. I say like Jonathan, let's go get this guy because perhaps he'll come and hit 40 here. Never do I call and say, I really want to get that two home run guy because he's going to come in and hit 30, 40 home runs for us. They don't think that way. Now, he might be productive in other ways, which would be very helpful, but not in that home run. Jonathan is simply saying here, he can say, perhaps the Lord will work on our behalf because God, God has already worked that way. He's already done it. In fact, he's he, looking back at the passage in Deuteronomy, then the Lord will drive out all the nations before you and you will dispossess larger, or nations larger and stronger than you. He's just simply claiming that promise. He grew up, he knew the story of Joshua. He knew it was happening. He knew in one passage before he went after an outpost and the Lord brought victory. So if you add those passages together, you can see why he is so bold to be able to say, perhaps the Lord will work on our half. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. He's simply looking to see God do more 
of what God has already done. Do you know that every time we let God's past action launch us into another step, we're seeking God. Every time we let what God has done for us propel us to trust in Him to do more, we're seeking God. We're seeking Him in our action. And that is what Jonathan is teaching us this morning. There's no earthly guarantee that the result is going to be what, our think, what we think. But then again, our logic is not grounded in, those, in that earthly logic. But it's grounded in the promises of God. That God said, I've done it, so why would you think I'm not going to do it again? Here's an example. Let's say you have this incredible testimony to share about how God really changed your life. Maybe right here at Wendover Hills. You came in and, and life was broken and you received from the Lord here. You received from what God had to offer through these people in this church. I was emailed a story this week about how God used Wendover to impact somebody. It was an incredible email. And you say you have a friend and who needs to hear about God who is broken in their own life and struggling in their own life. And, and because you came here and you received this, from Wendover and you receive from the Lord here, you say, well, I don't know. I mean, it worked for me and it was good. I connected and God hit me, but eh, I'm not really sure. I mean, you really don't know my friend's issues, my friend's problems. That wouldn't be claiming what God has already done. If God has delivered you, you are the testimony to what God can do. And so he'll do it for that friend. He'll do it for that family member. He'll do it for that coworker. That's how we claim what God has already done. And in that, as it propels us forward, we are seeking God. Secondly, here, Jonathan teaches us that Jonathan's actions let him know if this is what God wanted him to do. His actions revealed to him if this is what God wanted him to do. Now, this sounds like a bit of a contrast, so let me step back for a second. Last week, Tom, you told us kind of to sit and seek, and then we're going to do this time where we pray and we read God's Word and those type of things, and now you're saying that we should launch out and be active and then decide if God is actually speaking to us or not? Well, not exactly. Let me explain. You see, there are times when the direction and future of something is not super clear, and you're looking for God to design and to give you a specific roadmap to say, this is where you should go. This is what you should be about. And so in that, if it's not clear, we need to sit and seek God. We need to sit and ask God, what are you, what are you sharing with me? What are you telling me? In the college world, I find, uh, while I was at Trinity, that the freshmen would come in, and every year the number of undeclared just grew. Every year the percentage was higher of undeclared majors. In fact, I would visit with students and I would be recruiting, you know, to come and to join Trinity and be a part of the baseball program. And uh, I'd say, well, what major are you looking at? And they'd say, well, I'm undeclared. We have that. <laughs> it's one of our most popular majors. <laughs> and so there are times when things are unclear and we need to sit and look. And we would tell them, look, come and spend a year with your GE classes, your general electives, or your general classes and just sit and seek. What is, where's God leading you? What does he want you to do? We've got a great business program. Maybe the Lord's leading you in that. Maybe he's not. And we'd encourage him in that direction. When things are unclear, there's times when we need to just sit and seek God. And we talked about that last week. 
But with that said, much of what God wants us to be about in general as a people, we already know. And so we should jump out and do it. We know that God has called us to love one another, right? When somebody comes into that door that's hurt or broken or, or brand new, or somebody who's just looking for community connection, somebody who grew up in the church, with, but they walked away as a teen and they stumble back in here as a 30-something-year-old person looking for something in life. We know we should love that person, right? We're called to do that. We don't need to sit and seek God whether to love that person or not. We know we're supposed to be about that. If somebody in our life doesn't know Christ, and we have the opportunity through our relationships to share with them our story or to invite them along, we know we don't need to sit and wonder, does God want me to reach that person or not? It's clear we need to, to reach that person. Now, the means of how to do that may be something we have to pray and seek God on, but God wants us to do that. And so there's many things we know already God wants us to be about, so let's do them. Jonathan launches out to go to the Philistine outpost, uh, but it's not until he gets to the place where the Philistines can actually see him that he asks God, is this, is this what you want me to go further here? He says it this way, though, in the passage. Jonathan says, come on then, we'll cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if God says, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. See, he's right there. He's standing in this area and he actually has to kind of climb up. And they're looking at him and it's at that point where Jonathan says, okay, Lord, is this what you want or not? Show me really clearly. And so he gets himself, he's already active, he's already walking down, doing something for God, and God has this opportunity to, to direct him or to redirect him. And in this situation, we know the rest of the story and how God directed him. Let me put it to you this way. We can be a people who are sitting and seeking God and yet be a people who are actively participating in what he's already called us to do. You see, God had never designed the church, never designed a church to function like a movie theater where we come and we, we sit and we kind of watch and we're presented to. Now, you may be at the point in your life where all you need to do this morning is to come and to receive and to hear. That may be the point of your life. But for those of you who have been called or that call this their home, God always designed this to be something of great uh, participation and interaction. So we can be a people that are sitting and seeking God and yet be a people who are actively participating in what God's already called us to do. Let me share a key uh, area of action in this and give you an example. We have a great kids program here. Lots of kids uh, in the program. Now, I'm a, a father of three of those kids, so uh, kids ministry is, is always especially of interest to me wherever we go. And we have a nice program here, a nice group of workers. But as classes grow and a number of kids grow, we're always looking for new teachers, new workers, new people that can serve, new people that can participate in what God is already doing here. Now, I realize that some of you are not designed to do kids' work. It's not your gifting. It's not your passion. If you put you in the room with them, uh, it would be clear in about a minute and a half that this is, this is not the place for you. But with that said, there are times when even though something may not be our calling, we're willing to step in and serve for a short period of time. This morning, one of the ways that we can really be active 
in serving God along the path, even as we're seeking, is a thing we're just going to call Kid Serve. It's quite simple. This morning you have it in your, your program. Just a little card like this. It says Kid Serve. On the back it says one hour, one week, four months. For the next four months, we're just looking for, for you to sign up and say, you know, I'll serve one week in the kids program per month. Well, no big deal. Not a lot of time. An hour-ish service. You can sign up and say, I'll serve for one, for one week. I'll serve these kids. Maybe you're great at just, just holding the babies and, you know, and uh, pushing cars around on the, the carpet with the toddlers. Great, we've got a room for that. Maybe you like the interaction with the little bit bigger kids and, and like the video curriculum that we do. Great, we've got a class for that as well. If you simply just take this card this morning that's, that's in your program and just mark Kids Serve on it and drop in the offering at the end, we'll have our kids director contact you. What we're hoping will come out of this in the next four months, that area of what the Lord is doing will be covered. If you don't have a program this morning, right on the back at the Welcome Center, there's three lists that say Kids Serve, and they have all the classes. You can just simply go back there, write your name and your phone number, and our kids director will give you a call. One practical way. Here's what the Bible says about kids. Start children off the way they should go, and even when they're old, they'll not turn from it. Now hear this right. This is not a guilt trip. That's not what we're about. This is an opportunity for you to just serve. This is an opportunity for you to kind of get on board and say, you know, I can be active in that as we're seeking and searching God over this semester. You know, I told you at the beginning that we were going to spend the last bit of time transitioning into a different area and talking about how do we know if a prompting is from God. The last two weeks we've talked about seeking God's will. We, this week we talked about seeking God's will through action but the question has to remain, how do I really know when I think the Lord has spoken to me, how do I really know that's from him or not? Now, you might have heard all kinds of, of, of stories where people come to you and say, I really think the Lord is calling me to do this. And in your head, you're like, hmm, that sounds a little wax. I don't think that's what the Lord's calling to at all. I would often have students in, in the college that would come to me and uh, they had decided they wanted to do something different, like maybe they wanted to quit the baseball team or change their major or these type of things. And you could often tell right away if the Lord was really speaking to them or the Lord was their excuse. So, you know, the line that they would leave in there. And often I would ask them when they said, you know, I just think the Lord's calling me to do this. And I'd say, well, tell me about that calling. Tell me about the prompting. How's he teaching you that? Sometimes that was met with some good conversation. Sometimes that was met with, uh, hmm, uh, I don't know. So here's five filters. Bill Hybel writes a book called The Power of a Whisper. And in this book, he talks about five filters. And these five filters, uh, basically, if you, if you run God's prompting through that and it doesn't flush out, pretty good idea it's probably not from him. Let me share them real quick here this, this morning. Number one, is the prompting from God? Meaning this, does it sound like it's from God? Does it match up with God's character? Does it match up with the things that God is about in his word? Right away you can exclude a lot of things if you go, that just does not sound like God. It just doesn't seem to match his character of who he is. This is the prompting from God. Number two, is it scriptural? Bill Hybel writes this, Scripture is full of examples of how God would behave in any given life situation. And, his example, and, and the example's name is Jesus Christ. So the question is, if the prompting comes your way, ask yourself, is it contrary to any scripture? Does it conflict with scripture? Guaranteed, if the prompting conflicts with scripture, 
it's not a prompting from the Lord? Does it conflict with what you know of Christ? So does the Bible support it? Would Jesus do it? Third thing, is it wise? God will rarely go against wisdom and common sense. Now, not worldly common sense, but God will rarely go against wisdom. Proverbs is a book that's devoted to wise thinking, and it's full of the ways to test God's will. Scripture is really relentless in compelling us to act in wisdom. And so we want to ask ourselves, is this wise? Be sure you're not sidestepping this wisdom test because you want to be too hasty in a prompting. Number four, is it in tune with your own character? Remember when you grew up and you're like, Lord, please don't call me to be a missionary. I would hate that. Oh, he's probably going to call you now that you said that. Yeah, you know, you can ask yourself, is it in tune with my character? Bill Hybels also writes this, I caution people against running headlong into a field that's totally foreign to their wiring patterns, their education, their expertise, or their experience in life thus far. Yet it's true that God sometimes calls people and does this like 180 degree transformation in their life to get them to that place. Most often, God has called us out of who we are and what, who he's designed us to be already, the gifts and talents that he's giving us to, or given to us. In those other areas, God really will follow up those promptings with additional promptings in many ways. But most often, God uses us the way he made us. And finally, what do people you most trust think about it? Whenever you sense that God is speaking to you, you need to gather two or three veteran Christ followers and ask them what they think about it. Tell them about the prompting. Tell them how it came to you. Tell them what you've been thinking about it. And then listen openly and intently. Lord, what do you want to say to me through these people? Because sometimes these people just might save your hide. Over the next three weeks, we're going to move into a series called People at Their Best. And we're going to just talk about relationships. Um, but over that period of time, let me, let me encourage you to stay active in 2020 vision, to be praying and to be seeking God by reading God's word. But let me also, in that time, to be encouraging you to stay active in the things that God wants us to be active in. Stay active in, in reaching your coworkers, your neighbors, your family. Stay active in serving and, and loving people. Um, be active in kids serve as well. Let's uh, take a moment to pray, and we'll invite our, our praise team to come back up. Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for your word. Lord, I just want to pray for, for someone here this morning who, <coughs> the words of the beginning of the sermon especially, they just need to receive and to walk out of any oppression that they're dealing with. Lord, speak to them, and may they in return speak back to you, simply saying, Lord, I want to receive you. I want to receive your claims and your promises. And Lord, we pray for our kids program. We pray for what you're doing there. And we pray, Lord, that you would rise up leaders that would be willing to serve this once a month type of serve to care for those kids. Lord, lead us. Help us to really clearly see your direction and to be able to boldly walk forward. Help us to be like Saul who sit and we seek and at the same time be like Jonathan who are active in the things that you want us to do. We'll give you the praise and the honor in your son's name. Amen.